RecruitersLiveLounge.com, Episode 5. This episode is sponsored by Deliso. Deliso was created to enable recruitment owners and managers to focus their skills and efforts in areas that would get the most rewards, such as sales. Deliso supports clients by providing a tailor-made service from outsourced back-office functions right the way through to director-level advice and consultancy. Go to deliso.co.uk forward slash RecLiveLounge to find out more and start talking to them today. RecruitersLiveLounge.com Where you get to hang out with the most inspiring recruitment business leaders on the planet. Hosted by Roy Ripper. Hey everyone, welcome to Recruiters Live Lounge, where you get to hang out with some of the most influential recruitment business leaders on the planet. And you know what, I'm really, really um, stoked, I'm really excited today because my guest today is Kevin Green. And Kevin is the CEO at the Recruitment and Employment Confederation in London. Uh, or, or as we like to say, the REC. So I, I've just got that right. Um, Kevin's been the chief executive of the REC since June 2008. Um, for anyone who's not aware, the REC is the professional, uh, the professional body for the UK's 28.7 billion, that's correct, 28.7 billion private recruitment and staffing industry. Um, and before starting at the REC, Kevin worked for the Royal Mail from 2003 to 2008. His last role there was the HR Director for Royal Mail Letters, where he was responsible for all people-related issues for the business with 165,000 employees. Uh, so that's quite a lot of people that, uh, that Kevin was responsible. Now, during um, Kevin's uh, time at the REC, it's been recognised for its excellence in service provision and campaigns, winning over nine trade association and member awards, as well as Kevin personally winning the Trade Association Leadership Award. Kevin, I hope I've got all of that right. How are you? And um, tell us a bit about yourself. Hey, Roy, I'm fine. Yeah, I think you got most of that right. Um, I suppose the interesting thing for uh, the people that might be watching and, and, and listening to this is I'm not really a recruiter. I mean, I've been involved in recruitment most of my working life. I'm the sort of a, an HR profession, professional by training and um, experience. And I mean, I took this role six years ago because I thought the recruitment industry was going to go through quite a lot, a significant amount of change. Sure. And um, I was always its harshest critic, actually. So I think it's one of those jobs where someone said, do you want to get involved and actually try and make a difference? I thought, well, perhaps I need to, you know, uh, take the plunge and, and do something on behalf of this part of the HR marketplace. So, um, yeah, your, 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 your intro was fine. Um, I've been here six years, and it's a, it's been a great job. I've enjoyed it, and we've had some tough times. So I arrived in two thousand and eight when the market was, you know, we lost thirty percent of the market in an eighteen month period. So it was an interesting time to be talking to recruiters, and I'm pleased to say it's much better now. <laughs> Hallelujah, um, Kevin! Yeah. Thanks for joining us today. And look, let's just get straight into this, um, Kevin. I'd like to ask you, what's your favourite success quote? Okay, Roy, I've got two, um, and they're sort of linked. Um, the first one is, um, I find the harder I work, the more luck I seem to have, and that's 
I think originally it was a quote by Thomas Jefferson, uh, early president of the United States. But I first heard it were from Gary Player, the South African golfer, sure. who was talking about the harder he trained, the more work he put in. Strangely enough, he became more more lucky, or how people perceived him to be lucky. So for me, that's about very much about you know if you put in the hard work, you should get the the rewards. And I think it's something that I try and live by. Really, I suppose another way of of talking about it, you often hear sports people talking about, you know, I've left everything on the pitch. That's my sort of motto in life. You know, we're not here a, for a very long time. And I think what you really want to do is make the most of every situation you can. So that's a sort of ethos. And there's another one. I'm a great big Winston Churchill fan. I've read quite a lot of Good. biographies and stuff. So I'd be, be remiss if I didn't use one of his. And that uh, the one I like is um, success is walking from failure to failure with no loss of enthusiasm. So for me, that's about you know anything in life where you're trying to do the best you can do is you get setbacks. There are things you need to overcome. And the, the thing I think that you see in many leaders is the ability to sort of rise above that and just keep going. And again, when I'm talking to recruiters, the ones that are successful, you know, they've quite often grown a small organization into a large one. And a lot of that is about just that persistence, you know, that resilience to bounce back and to... To, to put it behind you because you know where you're going and what you're trying to do is the right thing. So for me, those sort of give you the, the sort of ethos I try and live my sort of everyday life by. Kevin, I love those quotes and particularly the, uh, the Churchill one. We're big fans of uh, Churchill here at the Recruiters Live Lounge. Um, Kevin, I, I always feel that um, behind every great leader, whether it's in recruitment or outside recruitment, um, there's a journey that that person's generally gone on. And what we'd like to do here is, is um, just ask you and start off with, what is your um, biggest personal failure that you've had in recruitment or, you know, in that time of recruiting for, um, for the Royal Mail? Yeah, it's not a pure recruitment story, actually. But, but again, I learned a lot from it. It was um, one of the things we decided to do at Royal Mail. We were doing a huge transformation. When I arrived, the business was losing a million and a half pounds a day and we turned it into making a 600 million pound profit in a four-year period and a lot of that was about um, developing the capability we had but also having to bring in new capability and we decided um, uh, across the operational side of the business we had three and a half thousand line managers people that were in our factories we had 74 factories 2,000 delivery offices and for us they were the crux of everything so how do we engage our people? How do we deal with the trade union, the industrial relations environment? How do we get them to communicate and engage? So for us, we decided to embark on a huge uh, program of assessment to assess every single manager against the new set of competencies. Um, and it took us about a year to plan it. It was a huge activity. We got about 25% of the way through and the operational managers basically revolted, the senior leadership team. And the reason I think they revolted, I think the lesson I learned was I hadn't prepared the ground. Okay. So, they, so they'd taken the argument from a rational perspective, which is, you know, we need to actually look at our managers and develop them and potentially move some of them out. But it was only when we started to show them the data and the evidence that lots of the managers weren't going to be capable of going on the journey that we needed them to go with, that they started to go, oh, hang on a minute, what about old George? He's been with us 15 years. He's a great guy. You're saying he can't do... 
So when we, we became real for them all of a sudden, as we got through about 20, so they decided to abandon that. Now for me, that was, you know, a hugely uh, significant, quite a visible failure of what we were trying to do. Sure. Um, now we revisited it, and we went back and did it in a different way a couple of years later. But the learning for me was really prepare, if you're going through change, if you're a leader, when I look back, we hadn't spent a lot, enough time talking to those uh, operational leaders about what this meant in reality to them, that they were going to lose some close friends, um, there were some people that have been there a long time and operated and done a really good job, but they weren't going to survive and didn't have the skills and capabilities for the new environment we were creating. So for me, it was about, you know, don't just win the, the, the rational, logical argument, engage people, get them to understand how this is going to feel as we work, as you go through the change. So that was a big failure. And I think for me, a lot of it was about you know, communication and engagement. We're all incredibly busy, but if you don't do spend enough time on the human dimension, you're going to end up with some of those difficulties in any kind of sort of leadership role. For sure. Thank you, Kevin. And Kevin, you know, again, a, a lot of us as leaders get that eureka moment, that moment that the light bulb goes on and everything falls into place. Have you had that um, I'm sure you have, but that eureka <laughs> moment in in your time at the REC. Yeah, we have. Um, I think it's about three years ago, and and as you know, we was we spend a lot of time talking about compliance and standards and professionalism. That's our role, really. Uh, and what we found was we were auditing about ten percent of our membership, about three hundred recruiters a year out of our three and a half thousand members. Um, and what we were finding was the vast majority of them, about 80, 85 percent, were, were proficient and doing the right thing. But some of the others clearly weren't. Now, the issue for us was if we carried on auditing at the same pace, we were going to end up with, you know, it taken us 10 years to get through the whole membership. And, and, and we were really struggling um, in terms of, you know, facing off the government that want to regulate. Um, and also trying to say, look, we the badge needs to mean something. So the eureka moment was, uh, I think it was one of those things where you wake up and you know when you're dozing in bed, and I just <laughs> and I just thought, actually, we've got to do something. We've actually got to put in place a test which demonstrates competence and compliance. So we then spent about a year, eighteen months designing an online compliance test, which we then said this was the other big sort of uh, quite a brave step was to say it was going to be compulsory and every member had to go through it. Okay. Uh, we've just completed that process, William, like I'm pleased to say, December 2014. We got 95% of all members through. Brilliant. But that means we lost 193 members that didn't meet the standards that we, we expect. And I think that's a good sign. It's a good Brilliant. sign for the industry. I think it means that the REC membership mean stuff and now the journey is very much about next two years up in the past make uh, up in the past rate making it a little bit more difficult renewing the questions because what we really want to do is to keep raising the bar in terms of the standards that we're setting for the industry so the eureka moment was to go if we carry on doing what we're always done we get what we've always got but we really needed to do something quite different and we're really pleased with the outcomes of it as well so it's not just a great idea we've executed well Really pleased on that one, Kevin. Well done. Um, Kevin, what do you do personally, you know, day-to-day -day activities to drive the recruitment standards of, for our industry? 
Yeah, I mean, I think my job's, the thing I like about my job is it's pretty varied. So um, I spend quite a lot of time working with my policy team, um, which is facing into government predominantly and other stakeholders. So spending time meeting officials, talking, uh, talking to and meeting uh, politicians. And, you know, in the run up to the general election, that's hugely important. You know, we published our manifesto in December. And we're very clear in the messages we want to get across to all of the major political parties. So that's a large part of my job. Uh, also spend a lot of time talking to the media. So we spend a lot of time getting messages out, not just about um, to the recruitment press, which I think we do quite successfully. Sure. More importantly, to the, the broad, you know, the broadcasters and the broadsheets. And the reason for that is that's again about raising the brand, talking about the value that the recruitment industry creates for the UK economy. So talking a lot about what we do as an industry and, and trying to demonstrate the benefits to the wider public. And I, I suppose that sort of feeds into trying to convince the clients about the real value that our members provide. So Kevin, thank you for that. How do you see the recruitment industry developing over the next, say, five years? Well, I think the good news is, having gone through some really tough times as an industry, the next five years from our perspective looks quite positive. So. We're forecasting 9% growth uh, in the year we're currently in, followed by sort of growth of the same sort of magnitude for the following two years. So what we're saying is, and we're already at record levels in terms of turnover, 28.7 billion. So we think that in the next three years, the industry is going to grow by over 25%. Um, and we think it will be a 33 billion pound uh, industry and you've got to recognize and I think we don't do this in recruitment is we're bigger than the UK fashion industry we're bigger than plastics we're bigger than toys so you know we are already a significant industry perhaps we don't punch our weight and that's one of the things that the REC is trying to to do on behalf of the industry so I think the growth's there I think the challenge is going to be I think we'll see more consolidation in the marketplace I think we'll see some of the large and mid-sized firms uh, buying up some of the smaller entrepreneurial firms as people decide now's the time to exit on the upturn. Um, I think what we'll also see though is the great greater use of technology. Um, so I don't see LinkedIn and Indeed and all of that stuff as as competitors. I just see them as channels and tools that recruiters can use. So I think there's going to be greater opportunity to utilize um, some of the social stuff. I think we'll also see um, that we really are beginning to convince uh, clients of the value of the recruitment industry. So for me, that's something that we've been majoring on. We've got something called the Good Recruitment Campaign, which has a charter at the heart of it, where we're working with large employers and getting them to define what great recruitment looks like for their own organisation against a, a benchmark. And for me, that's a lot of that's about how do we get you know our members, recruitment companies, saying the right stuff. So one of the challenges I think for the recruitment industry is, as I said earlier, it's about talking ourselves up. Yeah, Kevin, here, here. I, um, you know, I've said for a long time, you know, that, that recruitment consultants or recruiters worldwide change people's lives, whether that's the lives of our candidates um, or our clients or even uh, the families and friends of those clients and candidates, because, you know, we, we get the countries moving. And of course, yeah. that impact is it, there's a ripple effect th felt throughout, you know, candidate and clients lives. So, um, you know, I, I echo that. So thank you. Uh, thank you for that, Kevin. Um, Kevin, we're going to move now into the lightning round and um, I'm going to fire five questions at you. Um, starting with the first question, 
what, what's the number one thing that you think or you see holding recruiters back from becoming more successful? I, 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 and I've sort of touched on it already, Roy. I think it's about them believing in the difference they make. So I think it's about them becoming more confident about the industry, more confident about um, the value that we provide to individuals, to businesses and to economies. And that's not just in the UK, as you say, it's globally. So I sit on CIT's board, we've got 50 organisations like the REC that are federations in different countries, we've got the big eight global recruiters. And, and it's not just in the UK, in fact in the UK I think we're sort of leading the way. But it is about how do we convince government, the media and others of the power of recruitment to change people's lives, to help businesses be successful and to make sure that economies work and that people uh, you know, are creating prosperity for, for the employees in those countries. So I think we've got a huge opportunity, but it's a big opportunity, it's a big challenge and I think, I think it is up to trade associations and professional bodies to lead the way. But there is, you know, recruiters need to talk up their competitors and they find that quite difficult. You know, while being competitive on the one hand, they need to be saying, but overall, the industry, you know, we meet standards, we're professionals. You know, for me, I, I'm keen to see the industry perceive itself as a professional services industry. You know, and I think that is an important development in terms of uh, the, the industry's journey. It's a great message, Kevin. Thank you for that. Um, Kevin, what's the best piece of business or recruitment advice you've ever received? I think it sort of it, it's um, it goes to both. Actually, it goes to sort of an interview question, and it also goes to sort of advice I've had from people that have uh, given me feedback during perhaps my earlier career. And that was to be yourself. You know, be authentic. Don't pretend to be somebody that you're not. Um, and I think whenever you're in a situation, you know, where you can be creative, shall we say, with the answer, I think just be yourself. Be honest. Be true to yourself. Um, and I think if you do that in life, you're normally not going to go far wrong. I think it's when you pretend to be something else and you then you get the job and you go, well, actually, you know, perhaps it doesn't work for me. So I think, you know, when you're talking to candidates, always tell them to be themselves. Sure, help them think about how they present themselves and how they articulate themselves, sure. but let's not try and turn them into something else. And I think from a management perspective, in terms of a leadership role, you really want to, you know, you want to be authentic, you want to be real, and you want to be able to have conversations with your people, which mean, you know, you're setting targets and goals, you're giving them feedback, and they're going to take that from you if they believe you're being honest and consistent and fair at all times. Good, thank you. Thank you, Kevin. Um, Kevin, what's something that you see working brilliant in your in your business right now? And what I mean by that is, you know, a resource, it could be um, a bit of software or an app or something that you use personally in your business every single day. Um, shameless plug for them, if you like, but just one one piece of kit or software that you use in your business and you, and you find very useful. I'm going to do two as always, Roy, because I'm not good at keeping to your structure. Um, the first one, I suppose, from an organisation point of view is our qualification. So um, one of the things that I think if you go to the heart of what the REC is about and the work that we've done over the last few years, it's about professionalising the industry. To do that, I think you want to get young people particularly to see recruitment as a career yeah. and it's a career of choice. Now, some of that's about earning more money and progressing and taking on different roles. But for me, it's also about qualifications. And we've spent a long time developing and redesigning the qualifications. So we've now got something 
you know, right the way from an apprentice for a 16-year-old, a level two qualification, Good. right they up to degree level, and we're now working on a master's. And for me, you know, we've now, over the last 10 years, we've got over 20,000 people through that. They're high quality, they're off-qual accredited. So for us, I think that's an important way of getting um, recruitment businesses to recognize, you know, they can get uh, significant standards for individuals. Um, at all different levels within their career. So I'm keen to encourage, as you are, I'm sure, Roy, sure. to get people to train and develop their staff. And doing that within some kind of structure is important as well. So I think the qualifications at the REC is one of the things that we think is really working well and beginning to grow and uh, uh, be recognized by uh, entrepreneurs and recruitment leaders. For me personally, the thing I most enjoy is um, I like Twitter. I'm a bit of a Twitter fan. <laughs> Um, we know. And the reason I like Twitter is because um, it, you can engage with lots of different people very, very, very quickly. Um, whether that be, you know, our members. You know, I get questions at most days on people going, "What about this?" and "Have you seen this?" Secondly, uh, it also enables you to engage with other people, both the media and, and stakeholders that have got really good information and uh, research to talk about in relation to the jobs market and what's going on. Um, we can also put stuff out there, we can play stories, we can engage people in a debate around some of the things that we think is really interesting. So for me it's about connection, connectivity, but it also gives you an, a really good channel to get messages across. So I think social media, and I'm, an, I'm a late adopter, you can tell from my age it's not something, I'm, I'm not like my 19 year old son where his phone's not out of his hand, you know, I'm sure he sleeps with it, I'm not quite like that. Um, but it does seem to me to be a hugely powerful tool at, you know, connecting, but getting information and research to you as well as engaging other people with the things that you're thinking or want to talk about. So I think Twitter's a huge tool and a, and a very valuable one for us and for the industry. I totally agree, Kevin, and I I, I, I agree with your first point as well that um, you know qualifications and driving the standards, anything that drives the standards of our industry, should be applauded. And I, I you know, as a, as an industry, someone that's been around the industry a long time, and we're, we're really pleased with the work that the REC's done on on that particular issue, for years, but particularly in the last five or ten years, sorry, five years, I think uh, there's been some significant. Um, uh, moves forward. Um, Kevin, what's the best business book that you've read in the last six months? Yeah, two books, I think. And I, I think a good, a good business book is something that you come back to. So I've, I've, re I've dipped into these, both of them, two again, can never stick to one, um, <laughs> in, in the last six months. The first one is written by somebody I know quite well called Mary B. Lucas. Um, she's an American, she's worked her whole career in the staffing industry and she wrote a fantastic book called um, Lunch, Meat and Life Lessons which is about her dad. It's about her dad who's a butcher and every time she has a problem as she's growing up, and they're all true stories, she goes to see her dad and they sit over the butcher's block and he basically imparts his wisdom. He grew a very, very successful butcher's business from a one outlet to a, you know, a, a big regional player in the States. So it's fantastic. There's loads of little really fantastic stories. One of the stories I love is um, it's over the L. So one day, I'll tell you this story very quickly. Where, okay. um, the um, couple, her father and mother, get up. They look out of the window. There's been rain, and uh, their shop is in a dip. It's in a sort of a valley within Kansas, I think it is, right. and it's been flooded. And um, 
He, the wife's going, oh, crumbs, we better get dressed, we better get down there, da, da, da. And the dad says, you don't really worry about it, over the L. And the L was a sort of a fluorescent sign that they could see from their bedroom window. And he knew that if the water's over the L, the store's going to be underwater. So the point of the lesson is, you know, basically, don't try and worry about things that you can't change. You know, if it's over the L, just let it go. Think about what you can do. And the other little story she tells as an anecdote is she, nine months later, I think uh, one of her brothers or sisters arrives. I think they just went back to bed that day. You, know? <laughs> <laughs> you can't do anything about the store. It's flooded. So lunch, meat and life lessons, I'd certainly recommend it. And also it's by a staff. It's by someone that's in our industry. Yeah. Um, and the other book that I go back to uh, very often is uh, Jim Collins' book, um, Good to Great, which is a great book about putting people at the heart of business and how you develop that sort of capability. So they're my two recommendations for business books, both of which I've read a few years ago but keep dipping into. Great recommendations, and thank you for those, Kevin. Um, Kevin, final question in the, in the lightning round. If you woke up tomorrow morning, um, you still possessed all the experience, all the knowledge that you, you currently have, but your business had completely disappeared, God forbid, forcing you to start somewhere, anywhere from scratch, what would you do? Um, well, I think sort of professional football and pop stars are out of the question. <laughs> so I think what I'd do is I'd end up running, setting up a HR consultancy. So I did that for 12 years before I went into Royal Mail. I've now spent six years doing this. So for me, Working with organisations that very much as I did, you know, 15, 20 years ago, um, and putting people at the centre of their business. So looking at organisations that want to grow, develop, do things differently, and what sort of human capital do they need to be successful? How do they attract it? So the recruitment piece, but then once they've got that, how do they manage it, uh, incentivise it, develop it, and really make the organisation flourish from a from a people perspective, because I think that's what I've been doing for the last, I don't know, when I started 30 odd years ago, I've been at the, you know, doing work around how you make, you know, businesses more successful through using people in, in a more imaginative and creative way. It's a great response. Thank you, Kevin. Um, so Kevin, look, we are coming to the end, but before we say goodbye to you, is there one final piece of advice that you want to impart? And what is the best way for people to get in touch with you um, uh, going forward, Kevin? Okay. Um, I suppose the final, if, if we're looking at recruitments, if I'm talking directly to recruiters, I say two or three things all the time. One is um, develop your staff, develop the capability. At the, at the bottom, you know, if you really look at a recruitment business, what have you got? You've got a brand, you've got a, you know, a few computers and some phones, basically. So at the heart of any recruitment business is the consultant. So for me, making sure that those people are developed and grown, um, well-led, well-incentivized, I think is critical. Um, so I think that's one of the things I would say to recruitment leaders. Secondly is always really look at being compliant. You know, if you're going to differentiate yourself in the marketplace, then really um, tie yourself to standards and professionalization. And I suppose I'd have to finish with and talk up the industry, because I've said it about four times. So develop your staff, really think about how you're going to grow as an organization, have a business plan, have some clarity about where you're trying to get to, think about how you differentiate yourself but then really talk up the industry because that benefits uh, your organization, but uh, the whole industry uh, uh, as one, really. Um, 
how do people contact me? Well, uh, email's the obvious one, but I suppose having talked about Twitter, uh, Kevin Green, REC, um, more than happy to get more followers on LinkedIn. Um, so I'm more than happy. And recruiters are quite good at raising questions. They normally are a little blunt and a little direct, um, but that's fine. You know, for me, um, I'm quite happy for people to ask questions, to give feedback, to tell us the things that they think we should do. And, you know, when you're running a membership organization, you're only as good as your members, really. So um, if they tell us that uh, they think we should be doing something else or changing our approach or lobbying government for uh, changing some of the regulations, then it's up to us to listen, uh, to take that on board. Um, Kevin, thank you for that. And um, it, it, just for everybody else that's out here watching and listening, I will say to you, Twitter's a great way to get in touch with Kevin. Um, I know he's one of those few people, actually, that looks after his own Twitter um, and does respond. Kevin's really, really active. For somebody who said that he's a late adopter, I've got to say to you and echo that um, he is very much uh, an enthusiastic adopter. So get onto Twitter, get onto LinkedIn, connect with Kevin. Um, and, and find out some more. So look, Kevin, finally, thank you so much for being a guest in the Recruiters Live Lounge today and for sharing uh, your journey of success with us. We've been really, really pleased to welcome you here. Um, until the next time, speak soon and uh, signing off at the Recruiters Live Lounge. Everyone, wait to tune into the next week's episode. Thank you. You've been listening to Recruiters Live Lounge with Roy Ripper. Join us next time for more insights and incredible success journeys to help you be a better recruitment business leader. This episode is sponsored by Deliso. Deliso was created to enable recruitment owners and managers to focus their skills and efforts in areas that would get the most rewards, such as sales. Deliso supports clients by providing a tailor-made service from outsourced back office functions right the way through to director level advice and consultancy. Go to deliso.co.uk forward slash Rec Live Lounge to find out more and start talking to them today.